0: This morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. Galatians three ten through fourteen. Paul is continuing on to talk about the fact that we are justified by faith alone and not by works of the law. In verse ten. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank You for Your inspired Word. Thank You that it is Your very breath. And we cling to the promise that all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work you have for us to do. So may this passage of Scripture equip us for the work that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You be seated. After a lifetime of scholarly lab- labor... Um, A world-renowned theologian Theologian was asked, what was the greatest truth that he had ever discovered? And without hesitation, he answered, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, we smile when we hear that answer uh, because little children sing about God's love for them in Sunday school and surely... uh, towering theologian could come up with a more profound doctrine than Jesus loves me. However, it seems that decades of study have led him to the conclusion that there really is no greater truth than that of God's love for us and the love of the Son for His people. If you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at the letter to the Galatians. And this epistle is about the Gospel. The good news that we are... Justified, that is, forgiven and declared righteous in the sight of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And this gospel that the Apostle Paul is clarifying is for Christians. This is a great reminder that Christians need to be reminded of the gospel and its implications for the Christian life. Now, too often as believers we can look at the Gospel as though it's the ABCs of the Christian life. It's great for beginners, right? That's, that's where we start. Like little children, they learn the ABCs. And like new believers, we learn the Gospel. And then we move on to great intellectual doctrines, like maybe eschatology, Tom, right? That'd be... But do we really move beyond the Gospel? I don't think we should understand the Gospel as the ABCs of the Christian life, something that we begin with and then move beyond because we're much too advanced for that. Rather, we should look at the Gospel as being the A through Z of the Christian life. Uh, We begin with the Gospel. We continue on with the Gospel. And we end with the Gospel. So we begin the Christian life by... Realizing that we are accepted by God simply because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of what He has done for us. And we continue on by remembering that we're not earning God's favor. We're not meriting His favor. He doesn't owe us anything. We continue to remind ourselves that everything we have is because of His good pleasure for us. And when we're on our deathbed, if we have our wits about us and we know that our time is near. We are going to cling to the fact that we're going to meet our Maker in a short time and the only hope that we have of Him accepting us is because of what Christ has done for us and we have believed that He died on the cross and lived for us. So we begin the Christian life that way. We continue on in the Christian life that way. And we will die clinging to the Gospel because that is our hope. The Gospel is to be the guiding and controlling principle by which we live. We never move beyond the Gospel. We never leave it behind. The danger, however, is that we can stray from the Gospel. And that is precisely the issue that Paul is addressing in this letter. By way of review, turn back to Galatians 1. Remember what Paul said in verse 6? As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So this false gospel was being preached. This gospel basically said, um, it's good that you put your faith in Christ, but it's not good enough. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to eat the right foods according to the dietary laws. And you need to live according to the law of Moses. So, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ and work really, really hard. Now, surely no mature believer would ever stray from the Gospel, right? Well, we turn to chapter 2 and we see that even a pillar like the Apostle Peter was straying from the Gospel. Not in what he was teaching, but in how he was living. Paul says that he had no choice but to rebuke him because he was living contrary to the gospel as we read in 14. There was a time when uh, Peter would sit down with Gentiles and accept them as brothers and sisters in Christ because they put their faith in the same Jesus. Um, So they were on the same footing, but then certain men came from uh, James and they said, wait a second, you can't sit down with Gentiles. You can't eat pork chops. That's against the Old Testament law. And Peter withdrew. Barnabas withdrew. The church was withdrawing. And it was split. And Paul is appalled because this is contrary to the Gospel. Because the Gospel brings everybody together through faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter, of all people, needed to be reminded of the Gospel and its implications. And this is an illustration that Paul uses because it was very relevant for the Galatians. And we see that they got off to a really good start in the Christian life by living simply by faith. But then this terrible slide took place. And instead of living by faith, they started living by works and their own human effort. Another way of saying this is that they were living according to the flesh. Galatians 3.3 Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit that they received through faith? He says, are you now being perfected in the flesh? So you began with faith, you began with the Spirit, and now you're going to be perfected. You're going to end the Christian life in your own effort. Now you think you can do it all by yourself? He says, you're a fool. And of course, that doesn't hit us because it sounds kind of antiquated, right? Oh, foolish person, you know. Uh, If he was writing this today, maybe he'd say, you guys are stupid. What are you doing? Think about what you're doing. And then this is a great question. Verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So God was working miracles in their midst. And he says, why does God do this? Because you earned it somehow. No, it's simply because you prayed to Him and you believed and out of His goodness He answered you. Two weeks ago I said, this is our problem. And I think it bears repeating because it really is. It is very easy to slide from living the Christian life by faith and then thinking that we've got to work really hard. And, and I think the reason why it's easy to transition like that is that that's just how life is. That's how life is. If something bad happens... We think, well, i got to do something. Some of you know the story about Martin Luther. He was uh, studying law. And then one day there was a tremendous storm and it scared Luther to death. And he cried out, St. Anne, help me! I will become a monk. Now, the reason why he cried out to St. Anne is because he was a Catholic at this time. His father was a miner. And Anne was the patron saint of miners. Uh, so they would cry out to their patron saint and hopefully St. Anne would intervene on their behalf and rescue them. So that's why Luther is praying to a saint, something that uh, should appall us because we don't pray to saints. We pray to God through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. But that's where Luther was. But notice he's praying, St. Anne, help me. I will become a monk. See what he's doing? I'm in trouble. Tell you what, I'll give up being a lawyer and I'll do... The next, I'll become a monk. I'll devote myself to the church if you'll just save me. And isn't that kind of our mindset? We think, boy, I'm in trouble. God, I'll do this if you'll just get me out of this jam. That's just that's human nature. We want God to do something. We think, well, this is what I'll do. We kind of bargain with God. And again, even as Christians, we should be appalled by that, but it's real easy to slip back into that. Um, We know intellectually that we're we're justified by by faith alone, yet could it be that we have a a sneaking suspicion that if we really want to be loved by God, we need to work a little harder? I've asked you this question before. Um, On Sunday, do you feel more loved by God if you had a really good week? You feel less loved by God on Sunday if you you just had a bad week. You know, so you, you come to church and sometimes you're loved more, sometimes you're loved a little less. You know what? God's love for you doesn't change. I don't know if you had a good week. I don't know if you had a bad week. But guess what? God loves you the same. He loves you just as much as He loves Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. He loves you just as much as He loves Jesus Christ. And like we parents who love our children, there's nothing they can do to make us love them more or less. Uh, we may be disappointed with them. They may please us, but our, our love doesn't, doesn't change. At least as far as I can understand. <laughs> um, I, just, I love my kids. God's love for us is perfect. But we do feel at times as though we have to merit God's love. Because that's, that's human nature. Now, to prove that God accepts us by faith and not by works of the law, Paul is going to quote four Old Testament verses one right after the other. He's just going to drive home the point that we are justified, we are accepted by God, we are loved by God, not because of works, but because of faith faith. And, and Paul basically saying, I'm going to prove this to you by grounding my argument in Scripture. So he says, I'm going to give you this verse, and then this verse, and then this verse, and then that verse. And he's hoping that by the fourth verse the Galatians will cry uncle and say, okay, we, we get it. You made your point. So this is going to demonstrate that it has always been by faith that God has accepted us. So here's our four points. The first one is Justification has to be by faith because the law brings a curse. Justification has to be by faith because the law only brings a curse. Notice what he says in verse 10. For all who rely on works, and by that he means rely on works to be justified by God, to be accepted by God, to be loved by God. If you're relying on working real hard, you're in trouble. Actually, it's worse than that. You are under a curse. And then he says, For it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, I had a chance yesterday, finally, to listen to Tom's excellent message from Sunday. And he stated that there were hundreds of Old Testament laws. Do you remember how many there were? you remember what the number was? Who's, what? 613. Tom, be encouraged. One person was listening to you last week. <laughs> <laughs> 613 laws in the Old Testament. If you want a list of those, you can see Tom afterwards. He'll give, he'll give you that list. Paul says, you want to be accepted by God? Great. All you have to do is obey all 613 of those laws and never, never disobey any of them. Now, while we're doing a little review from last week, let me ask you another question. What's the greatest commandment? Great. Great. Three people will see us. (laughs) Just kidding. What's the second greatest commandment linked to the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as your... Love your neighbor as your... Ah, Tom, you should be more and more encouraged. Okay, they got it. Okay. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every fiber of your being. You know what? You have never done that for a single second in your life. Love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Oh, you've never done that for a single second. But here's the good news. Jesus never ceased for a second from loving God with every fiber of His being and loving His neighbor just as much as He loves Himself, which is why it's so exciting to read through the Gospels because we are seeing Love in action. We are seeing love incarnate. We are seeing what it looks like when someone loves God with all of their being and how that love relates to their neighbor. But we haven't done that. So if we're relying on the law for our justification, uh, we're in trouble. We're under a curse. And this curse can be understood objectively and subjectively. Objectively and subjectively. Or we could say it this way, Legally and practically. Legally, when it says we're under a curse, that means we're under condemnation. We're under the judgment of God if we're relying on works of the law because we've never kept the law. Uh, Practically or subjectively, um, this means that we feel the effects of that curse. I think I could say it that way. We feel the effects of the curse. We know that we haven't measured up to God's standard. And once again, if I, if I could, let me, let me quote Luther. And he, he's so much fun to quote because he's so honest. Uh, prior to his conversion, Luther confessed that he hated God because God appeared to him to be an angry, unappeasable despot. When Luther was in the monastery, he said, I did not think about women, money, or possessions. Instead, my heart trembled. And fidgeted about whether God would bestow His grace on me, for I had strayed from faith, and could not but imagine that I had angered God, who I in turn had to appease by doing good works. And then a little later, he says, "If ever a man could be saved by his monkery, it was I." You no, know, Luther's. Is... I was a monk. I was trying to appease God, so I was working really, really hard. He would pray for hours on end. He would confess his sin. He would do whatever he could to appease God, to measure up to the standard that God had for him. And every single day, he knew that he fell short of that standard. And it was like God was setting him up for failure, and he just felt like, I can't please God. I've only angered God. And because of that, he hated God. It was like God was messing with him. What are, you, what are you doing, Lord? I cannot possibly measure up to this standard. And he was absolutely exasperated and he hated God. And I think that's why many people are frustrated with religion and why they don't come to church because they feel the standard. They know they don't measure up. And that's why sometimes they'll, they'll say that, don't judge me. Because they, it just pierces them. Luther felt that. He knew he was under the curse of God. He felt the curse. Because he was trying to be justified by works of the law. And he knew he couldn't do it. It only brings a curse. And you feel that curse. Terrible way to live. Justification can't be by works of the law. That that only brings a curse. Number two, justification has to be by faith because the righteous have, have always lived by faith. And Paul pulls out another scripture, Habakkuk 2.4. And this is what we read in verse 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Turn back to Romans 1, if you will. This is a very significant Old Testament verse. And because it's so significant, Paul quotes it not only in Galatians, but he also quotes it in Romans 1. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, or if you have a King James translation or other translation, it might say for the justice of God, same thing, is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Now, I had mentioned that before Luther was uh, converted, he saw this terrible standard that he had to live up to and he and he couldn't live up to that standard. And he read through Romans and he saw this phrase, the righteousness of God or the justice of God, and he hated it because this is how he understood it. God is righteous and, or God is just to judge sinners who don't live perfectly. Now that will discourage you, won't it? That's how he under this. And he thought, I'm in trouble. So he studied, and he studied, and he studied, and this is what he said. He said, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in my way but that one expression, the justice of God, because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself reborn and to have gone through open gates into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Finally he No, oh, no, this is the righteousness of God that through pure mercy and grace through faith God forgives us and God accepts us. And Habakkuk 2.4 transformed Paul's life. And Habakkuk 2.4 sparked the Reformation. And it could be, I I don't know, but I'm I'm surmising here. It could be that Habakkuk 2.4 is the single verse in the Bible that has had the greatest impact on Western civilization. Could be wrong. It's one of those questions I'm going to ask God when I, when I get to heaven. But in all seriousness, Habakkuk 2.4 um, absolutely changed everything. The righteous live by faith, not by works of the law. So that's Paul's second argument. And then third, justification has to be by faith because the law is not of faith. Let me state it this way. The law is not a faith. Uh, There's basically, if you want to be accepted by God, you basically have two options this morning. So as you sit there and you say, I want to be accepted by God, you basically have two options. This is your first option. Your first option is you can be accepted by God if you obey all 613 commandments in the Old Testament and you never disobey a single commandment. If you can just do that, then you can be accepted by God. You can be accepted. Justified before God. That's one option. Anybody want to follow that option? (laughs) The other option is that you can live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's your other option. And this is what Paul says in uh, verse 12. And here he's quoting Leviticus 18.5. He says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them Shall live by them, so you want you want to be accepted, you have to do the law, you have to obey the law perfectly, and that's from Leviticus eighteen uh, we won't look at that, but I think that's that's clear enough and then his fourth point is justification is by faith because Christ removed the curse so at this point i I imagine Paul thinking now the Galatians are still going to wonder, well, what happened? What happened to the curse? Because we've disobeyed it. Uh, we deserve to be under the curse of God. What, what happened to that curse? And Paul is going to let us know that Christ took care of it by quoting Deuteronomy 21.23. And in verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone was hanged on a tree. So, in the Old Testament, you know that people weren't, uh, they weren't executed by hanging. They were executed how? you know usually? Stoning. And then after they were stoned to death, as a sign that they were stoned to death because they're under God's curse, they were hung on a tree. And as people saw them hanging there, they would think the curse of God. And of course, Jesus comes and He's crucified. And there He is hanging on a cross. Or a tree that Peter also calls it. People look and they think he's under the curse of God. That's why he's there. And that explains Jesus' cry of dereliction when he was on the cross. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer is because he had become a curse in our place. So he was forsaken by God. But he became a curse in our place so that we could be forgiven. So to summarize, Paul is saying uh, you are accepted by God. You are justified by God by faith, by faith, because works of the law only brings a curse. You're, You're justified by faith because it's always been that the just shall live by faith. You're justified by faith because if you want to be justified by the law, you have to obey all of them. You're justified by faith because Christ took care of the curse for us. So the Galatians are seeing clearly, okay, it's it's faith. And then he comes to his conclusion in verse 14. He says, So in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So the blessings made to Abraham, how do they come? They come through faith. And what blessing is highlighted in verse 14? Did you see it? What blessing is highlighted in verse 14? The promised Spirit. And of course, he points out the promised Spirit because that's the greatest of all blessings. You know, it's interesting. If you read through Matthew in 7, 7 and following, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he says, Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, find. He who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he says, which of you fathers, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for fish, uh, will give him a, a scorpion? And then he says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? And then when you turn to Luke's version of that, you read the same thing until you get to the very end, except Jesus has a little twist. He says, how much more will your father in heaven give the spirit to those who ask? And it's interesting when you compare Scripture with Scripture. And I think the reason for the change in Luke is because the greatest of all gifts is the Spirit. If God gives you the Spirit, if He gives you Himself, that's evidence that He'll give you anything you want. Because He's already given you the greatest blessing that there is. But notice very carefully the blessings of God come through faith, which is exactly what he said earlier in verse 9 of chapter 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. All of God's blessings come through faith. Not through merit. They come through Faith, which should remind us to just ask God to intervene on his behalf, that's how God acts. Let me uh conclude with this story it's a it's a little lengthy, but I think it's worth it. I read it to my to my family because it's a great story. Uh, this is from Helen Rosevere. She was a physician from uh, northern Ireland and she served as a medical missionary for many years in Zaire. Africa and she tells this story one night in central Africa I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward but in spite of all that we could do she died leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter we would have difficulty keeping the baby alive we had no incubator We had no electricity to run an incubator and no special feeding facilities. Although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly with tremendous draps. A student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and for the cotton wool that the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill a hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle, it had burst. Mm -hmm. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates. And it is our last hot water bottle, she exclaimed. All right, I said, put the baby as near the fire as you safely can. Sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with many of the orphan children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm enough, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chills. I also told them about the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one ten-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual blunt consciousness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed. Send us a water bottle. It will be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by way of corollary, And while you are about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she knows you really love her. As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so, but there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could have answered this particular prayer would be by sending a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa for almost four years at the time and had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send a parcel, who would put in a hot water bottle? I lived on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I had reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking in my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Together we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted jerseys. I sparkled as I gave them out. Then there was the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children began to look a little bored. As I put my hand in again, I felt, uh, could it really be? I gasped, and I pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that He could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward, crying out, If God has sent the bottle, He must have sent the dolly, too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, Can I go over with you, Mummy, and give this dolly to that little girl? so that she knows that Jesus really loves her. And of course, she granted permission. And that's a great story. That's a great story. Uh, People often wonder why we uh, have children remain in the service. I tell them, you know what? Adults need children in the service. (laughs) Because they're the ones with the greatest faith in the church. (laughs) And we can look at them and they can challenge us and remind us to believe God. And I share that story because it's just a reminder that God answers our prayers by simple faith. It's not because we work really, really hard that He says, okay, you've finally done enough. I'll send a hot water bottle. It's through simple faith that God blesses us. Again, that's how we began the Christian life. That's how we continue the Christian life. And that's how we will end the Christian life. Because we're called to live by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that keeps us on track or helps us not to get off track. Uh, Father, thank You for the reminder of this passage that shows that we're justified by faith. We're sanctified by faith. We, we live by faith. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to not give up. Help us to persevere. And we pray also, as the disciples did on one occasion, increase our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.